After taking the ute across Bass Strait on the spirit of Tasmania, Jane and I drove down to Windy Hobart to interview Bernadette Black. Bernadette's experience of having a baby at 16 years old and not finding the national organisational support she was looking for led her to starting her own organisation meeting the needs of expecting and parenting teens. Brave Foundation is now nationwide and is paving a way for other nations to follow in this important work. As a voice and advocate for these young people, Bernadette is living out her Christian faith, making a difference to so many people. I'm Carl Fays and this is my interview with Bernadette Black. So Bernadette, some people may not know that in fact, you started the Brave Foundation. Yes. So what does the Brave Foundation do? Yes. Or when it, when it started, because it's Clearly it's grown. So when it started, what was it? What were your aims when you started yeah. Brave Foundation? Yeah, so you're right. I'm founder of Brave Foundation. And I think it's now, we call it the 15 year overnight success. Um, <laughs> and so we, yeah, I remember starting Brave with my husband and a great mate. And we had the book, How to Start a Not-for-Profit for Dummies. And before we knew it, we signed the constitution. And now we have over 35 staff, an incredible CEO. And it is, it is meeting the need of expecting yeah, wow. and parenting in Australia. But the reason that I started Brave um, in those very humble beginnings was because it was my story. Mm. And so my son, Damien, who is 28 now and, um, and is married to his beautiful wife, Beck, and, and I'm a grandmother to, to their beautiful baby, Juliet, um, for a whole eight months. So it's just wow. so fun. But, but to actually walk that journey, and I think listening to lived expertise, lived experience, because actually, and it's something even in my uh, systemic work at the moment, actually combining the two and understanding what those needs are on the ground. For me, as a young girl in that situation, I was scared, I was alone, I was in a strict Catholic family, my dad didn't react well, and I wanted to know someone that had lived it, breathed it, and survived it. But I also expected that people would probably want to help me on that journey and that there might be programs. And, and, and I guess in a sense, Brave's what I looked for and couldn't find yeah. all those years ago. And it, it started, I, I wrote my own journey, which was called um, a book called Brave Little Bear, which is the meaning of my name. And then after you know, helping a number of people connect to whatever services they could in their communities for the young girls that they were bringing to me to, to think about how they could get into school or education, I knew that this was beyond a, um, me just volunteering a few days yeah. a week and um, that's when we knew it was gonna be a charity. So you, you had to have a conversation with your dad when you were what, 16? Yes, yes, yes. What happened? Uh, it was very scary and it was actually, you know, I'd met a boy who went to a local state school. We'd been going out for six months and the least likely thing ever happened and I was going to be having a baby. And so I can remember for my dad, that was just, the, you know, all of the blood drained out of his face and he didn't know how to respond. You know, he had plans and a dream and a future for me. And, and dad, he'd had a tough life himself. You know, he worked two jobs so that we could have the outcomes that he never had. And this was his older, eldest daughter. And so uh, dad actually, he didn't talk to me until the end of my pregnancy. 
and it was really, really hard. Wow. And it was at the end of my pregnancy that he gave me a beautiful book, which was a mother and baby care book. And it just had a few lines in it, which is so special to me now. And it just said, dear Burn, I know you'll be a great mum, love dad. Wow. And um, that meant so much yeah. before I had Damien. And, uh, but very difficult. And, you know, being a parent now of teenagers and young adults, I can understand why he was so upset yeah. and, and knowing how hard you work for your children yeah. and the plans that, um, that God has for them. But then, you know, my dad was actually, he, he continued to move in that. And after we were able to um, have a better relationship than ever before, he, he actually changed his whole life wow. after did, Damien was born. Did you just automatically decide to stay at school? Like, yeah. what was the whole, how did the whole school thing work for you as a, yeah. somebody who's 16 and expecting a baby? Yeah, I did stay at school for as long as I could mm. at the time. I think the teacher said, look, we can tell everyone that you've got glandular fever. They were actually beautiful. And wow. they, um, I was at a Catholic secondary college in Melbourne. And uh, they were very protective, I guess, from the point of view that they wanted me not to feel um, stigmatised at school and wanted to support me the best way that they possibly could. Mm. And so they sent me this big body shop gift pack and, and then I, you know, we told everyone that I had glandular fever and I was at home and, um, you know, it's funny when I look back now, but it wasn't at the time. And they were very, there was one teacher, uh, Mr. Shiel, my year 10 year level coordinator. And, you know, something that I say to young people or anyone all the time is, you know, go to someone that you're going to actually be able to receive wisdom from. And sometimes it might feel awkward going to them. They won't probably be your best mate. They're the people that are gonna tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to mm. hear. Mm. And Mr. Shield was it for me. And he said to me at that time, your journey might be different now, but the destination can stay the same. And so for me, I knew that that meant that I could continue to go on and finish my year 11 and 12, maybe go to uni. I mean, my family hadn't been to uni, so that there was no one that had done that in our family, but they were my secret dreams and goals as a young girl. And he actually spoke to who I was uh, as a person. He actually spoke to my purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that conversation, Carl, that's what has, you know, it's evoked a real yeah. passion in me to be able to make sure we don't miss that opportunity with any young person in Australia that we find that opportunity and that we build on that however we can. What's it, what was it like holding Damon for the first time as a 16 oh, year old? It was, um, it was amazing. I'd hardly held a baby yeah. um, and I wasn't a maternal girl. And I can remember thinking that he looked like he had a cone head <laughs> and he didn't look like he was like on the ads on the TV. And that actually was a real surprise. Yeah, yeah. I remember saying to my mum, you know, do, do all babies look like this? And she said, oh, he's beautiful. And I was like, yes, I, I guess he is beautiful, but it was different to what wow. I expected. Wow. But what I probably felt, which I felt with my, you know, three children, was this overwhelming feeling of protection mm. and care, mm. more than love. Um, and and I wasn't expecting that. That that feeling when the two of us were in the room that I was I was solely responsible for this living, breathing, you know, heart beating baby. Yeah. Um, that we called Damien and that that was a part of my job now and and that that level of responsibility you know I, I remembered also thinking I wanted him to have the gift of a teenage life that I didn't have um, as well and you know like all of those moments were in my mind at that time. Yeah. What were some of the major kind of road humps for you um, 
over the next two years as a young mum? Yeah, I think um, really it's probably the road humps that I found as a young mum have taught me well in, in my life mm. because something I learned was don't be afraid to ask for help because people often won't be there to just automatically help you because they won't know that you need help. And they might not be the right people to be asking help from in some situations. Mm. So actually finding safe people, safe, and also the people that have got the knowledge, like a maternal and child health nurse or a teacher or, you know, and sometimes it might have been mum or dad or in a lot of instances, mm. it was actually my mum's friends. Wow. So all of a sudden I had these friends having coffee with me that were double my age, but I had more in common with them than my girlfriends that were yeah. still going out every weekend and having a grand old time and here I was at home with a baby. So that actually taught me to mm. not be afraid of asking for help. And that that has actually been, my husband said to me, now you must have had coffee with nearly everyone in Australia. And it's not that. It's it's because I'm actually wondering how they might be able to, how we can help each yep. other yep. to be able to further the things, um, you know, of, of Brave Foundation and our young people in Australia, young families in Australia. Yep. And um, But I learned that through having to do it. Wow. And uh, and I you know, I made some goals and, and that's actually was very important. I made three goals for myself mm -hmm. at that time and um, and one of those was to be a good mum and you know as, as we just reflected I didn't you know I'd hardly held a baby I needed to learn how to do that yep. and I needed help to be able to do that. Were you able to pursue the educational goals that you wanted to? Yeah yeah it was incredible actually I finished my year 11 and year 12 then I went on to do nursing. So Damien thought he was studying to be a nurse so I remember him coming to, to lectures with me and then I continued and um, completed a graduate diploma in perioperative nursing, which is theatre and anaesthetics and recovery. And um, yeah, and, and I've done business and studied abroad at Harvard Kennedy and governance and a whole lot of things, which honestly back then, if you had have told me when I didn't know what pathway mm. I would have to mm. finish schooling, like to finish year 11 and 12, and I had to find that pathway and, and thankfully I did. But if you had told me back then that I'd one day be studying at Harvard Kennedy doing an executive public leadership course, I wouldn't have even known what on earth you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Like I, I would not have known. But uh, learning for me, I think, has been something that I'm just so passionate about. Yeah. And to continue to learn and to continue to share our understanding to create a world that, you know, that we see edify, um, you know, my, my personal beliefs of faith. I was going to ask you about that. So... What at that particular period of time? What was your framework of faith? Where yeah. where was Christian faith or belief for you then? Yeah, as as a young girl, I um, grew up in a Catholic home, and Mum and Dad they were traditional Catholics. We'd go to mass every Sunday. You'd never miss it. You sat on the you know the left hand side behind the behind the um, the piano and the same singer, and that was church. You did it the same you know week in week out, yep. and I had this real passion though, which was so funny for Jesus and mm. um, my mum would actually take me to visit this uh, old older um, gentleman who was a retired priest and I would speak to Father John and he was a recovering alcoholic and I'd talk to Father John and say to him Father John can you tell me the, the this is when I was five or six can you tell me the Jesus story and he'd say Bernadette again again and I'd be like can you tell me again and week after week I'd hear the Jesus story yep. and then I'd say to my mum can I at Christmas you know can I can I tell the Jesus story and she'd say 
it's a bit, you know, it's a bit embarrassing, Vern. You know, like, do you really want to tell? And that's so not what Catholic families do. And, you know, and I thought, well, no, she's got a good point. That probably yep. is a bit embarrassing. Yep. So I didn't really share it. But I had this real personal, um, was like a pull into a relationship mm, mm. in faith. And so it, I had real convictions and I loved going to mass. I did the readings at mass until I fell pregnant and then, you know, thought that maybe mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that for a little while. Um, and yeah, and then so faith was always important to me, but it was certainly different. I, I, I did go to a Youth Alive seminar, I think, as a teenager. And that's where I really experienced, I guess, my own personal yeah. relationship with Christ and, yeah. um, and things really, you know... Um, they solidified for me in a, at a personal level. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Olive Tree Media. Our vision is to create a library of resources that tell the story of the game-changing message of Jesus. This interview was recorded for our latest documentary, Faith Runs Deep. Our other award-winning series, Jesus the Game Changer and Towards Belief, plus many other small group, church and school series are available on our Watch Plus platform for a small monthly partnership. As you partner with us, you not only get access to compelling video content and interactive discussion guides, but you also support the creation of more resources that help share the gospel message. To become a partner and get access to Faith Runs Deep, visit olivetreemedia.com.au. Now, you didn't marry Damien's dad, but you got married to Steve a few years yes, later. Yes, yes. What was that like? I mean, you, you're, you're a bit of a complex package with a, yeah, a baby. So yeah. what was that like? Well, it's, it's interesting, actually, that you say that because all of his friends were saying, you know, I met Steve. It's not a very glamorous story. It was $1 pots night at a uni pub. <laughs> and we actually went there not long ago and took a photo out, outside of it in Melbourne. Yep. And on a Wednesday night and in comes Stephen Black. It was actually a girlfriend of mine. Um, had It was one of her friends. And I met Steve and it's funny though, I, I, it was six months after I'd broken up with, with Damien's father and, and I wasn't interested in ever meeting anyone. I mm. just wanted to be a good mum and look after mm. Damien. But I saw this man and I just knew he was the one and if you ask him, he says the same. Um, and so it was amazing, you know, meeting Steve and, um, and, and courting. But my dad also at that time, he'd said to me, you know, even though, you know, like things that, you know, they're not going to continue with Damien's dad, who you are going to meet and who you have for your life, actually, God has a plan mm. and you deserve the very best man that he has designed for you. Yep. And so he wanted me to have my expectations high, even though I had this three-year-old yep. at that yep. point. Um, but all of his friends said to him, what are you doing? She's got a baby. You know, like you could do so much better. And he actually turned to his brother and his brother said, well, do you love her? And he said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, the rest of it will work out. And, um, you know, and thank goodness he wow. did. And in, in that relationship, you, you had a personal faith, but that wasn't something that was part of Steve's no, life, was it? No, no, How it did wasn't. that change? Well, I, you know, I can remember meeting with Steve and it was amazing because my dad was Steve's greatest champion. And I one of my first questions of Steve was, you know, I have faith, it's really important to me, what about you? And he just said, oh, no, no, 
don't know what I think. I don't mind that you do, but I don't, you know, I don't have, you know, I was really agnostic. Yep. And, um, and my dad met him and he just like, I just know that he's going to love Christ. I, I just know it. And, you know, then he'd come, Steve would come to mass with me Christmas and Easter. And that was the only time mm. I started, mm. was going to mass at that point. And then it wasn't until my son, we'd moved to Tasmania from Melbourne and, and my son Damien, who was about uh, 11 at the time, said, oh, mum, I think, you know, we should go to church. I think my mum had actually been in his ear, Carl. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, if, you, yeah. if, if your 11-year-old's asking you to go to church... <laughs> you better turn up. <laughs> I better turn up. I couldn't find the Catholic church. I found a Christian church in um, the north of, of uh, Tasmania where we were yep. doing some nursing. And... Um, and it just felt like my dad's prayer group. Like he, he, um, my dad actually uh, led, which was amazing. I, he changed his life when Damien was born, um, drastically changed his life. He, he stopped gambling and, you know, didn't drink much on the weekends, but he, he was, it, probably 30 people would have been at his funeral if he had of, you know, before Damien was mm. born. He mm. radically changed his life and then started, you know, leading the Catholic charismatic renewal. And so he, he passed away when Damien was five, but those five years of, 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 um, of me having mm. dad as this Holy Spirit filled man that was passionate for um, preaching the gospel. Actually, there were 1200 people at his funeral. It was wow. celebrated by wow. two bishops and five priests. And we just saw this other side of dad, which we couldn't believe. And so dad always had said, you know, I just know that he's going to love Christ. And that didn't make any sense to me. But these years later, when we came to Hobart and I went to church, I just felt like dad. It felt like his prayer group, which I used to think was really ridiculous when I was younger. And, and But yep. I had a comfort. Yep. And yep. Um, yeah, then through a series of different situations and circumstances, life was difficult. My husband just said, what's that church you're going to next week? And that's the church that we go to now in Hobart. And he was baptised within about six months, I think it was. Wow. And now, you know, works in full-time ministry, has for five yeah. years. So wow. pretty amazing that dad said that all those years ago. You go through, you know, th through schooling, nursing, you decide to write a book. Yeah. So what motivated the book? Yeah, so that was really, you know, my own story of having Damien. And so it's this little snapshot, you know, of, um, of my journey because I actually thought, well, if another young person mm. is in that situation, how are they going to get some light? How are they going to see that there's hope? And so I remembered it took, it was a seven year journey. It, t it takes 45 minutes to read. It's very quick. But we had educators on board helping to write that. And we made it very simple with a whole lot of beautiful mm. photos because I, one thing I knew was that there would be young girls or young men reading this and they might not have any literacy level. Mm. And so actually to be able to understand that there is a story of hope in this was really important. But, you know, it was in prayer, as was Brave Foundation and, and as is actually this new role that yep. I've stepped into now as Social Economic Empowerment Ambassador. Uh, there are a few times in life where, you know, I think that, that, that I certainly have heard from God, mm. but I certainly have had a peace and an impression in my prayer life where something feels significant. And those three things definitely have the writing of Brave Little Bear, the establishing of Brave Foundation, and, and then this new division with social economic empowerment. So you released the book and clearly that's, you know, so helpful for yes. so many people. It, it's another big step to start an organization yeah. and I know you, 
you chatted about getting together and reading not-for-profit for dummies, but yeah. what, what motivated, like out of the <laughs> that book... That was our first step, yeah. <laughs> baby step. Yeah. So out of, out of writing and releasing a book, what kind of made you think this foundation is important? Yeah, well, it was something, I, as I said, I looked for what we developed and I couldn't find it. Mm. And I couldn't believe that here we were, Brave Foundation, I wrote Brave Little Bear in 2006, Brave Foundation was incorporated in 2009. And when I was sharing with other people, you know, that I can't find a national organisation that can help me finish my education because I have a little one, um, people were like, really? In 2009 or in 2015 or in... Seriously, there's not a charity that does this. And there are a lot of programs that run to help young parents, but they're often short in um, mm. in their funding cycles. So it might be a six weeks program or um, they, they're not in all the areas where teen parents are. And so it was something actually to be able to elevate those programs that already exist as mm. well and to make that light brighter actually. And for us to connect uh, the young people that we work with, with those services. And so that's really, you know, what, what we knew, what I knew was, um, so important because it was what I looked for myself and I think when we can go back to someone's lived experience uh, that then we can design great policy we can design great funding structures that actually are going to create the very fabric of who we are in Australia yeah yeah in in that process how how have you found the young women that your Brave Foundation has influenced how have you found their response to you and those you work with? Yeah, look, it's um, it's just such a privilege. You know, my story is just one story of many, 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 many stories. And, you know, it's, um, it's I want to hear their stories. I want to hear how they're finding things now. Uh, the team that work at Brave Foundation now, uh, it, it, they, that's what they do all of the time. And, you know, Teen parents, they're a cohort that actually, there are many cohorts within. So there are high rates of domestic and family violence, high rates of mental health um, issues, and, and also um, also with disability, um, surprisingly. So when you look at this group of people that have often had long-term generational disadvantage, how we can actually think about all the time, you know, how we can provide that off-ramps to disadvantage Mm -hmm. um, through a program. And so I guess what we did at Brave was we made the complex delivery, service delivery landscape simple through one person. And now what I'm doing is making the complex or helping governments make that complex system simple so that it can fund yeah. organisations like Brave to meet that need. Um, but yeah, they inspire us, mm. the teen parents we work with, and they're amazing. Mm. They, they really are. In Brave Foundation, how it works, how does your faith, your Christian faith, intersect with what you do there? Yeah, well, for me, I knew when I, you know, had this sense in prayer that my job is to be able to show the love of Christ with whoever is in front of me, actually, and whoever I have the privilege to be sitting with, whether that's with, you know, a teen parent, whether that's with someone when I go to the service station in the morning, whether that's a stakeholder I'm meeting with or a parliamentarian, it actually doesn't change. And what's God's job is to be able to use that love, and I might not ever see where that lands for that person's life into the future. Mm. Um, Something that I did know was that, that, um, 
that for Brave, Brave is not a religious organisation. Mm. And so um, we are independent of, um, of any religious affiliation. And we wanted to make sure that we can reach every part mm. of Australia. Mm. Um, saying that though, uh, it, its founder is Christian and there are Christians in the workplace, but it's not something that, um, yep. that we ask uh, the people that we work with. I, I don't mm. actually, I'm not sure. But those foundations uh, and where it started are very biblical. And so I think, you know, from now being able to see the doors that have been opened and um, the wonderful lives that we've had the privilege of being involved with uh, and seeing generations change, it's just magnificent to have created something and now that I can be a small part of as founder, but actually that there's a whole team and a CEO that is just building that into something that is actually going to stand on its own in front of other nations um, for them to adopt. So yeah. it's wonderful to see that. So Bernadette, what's your role with the Brave Foundation Yes, now? I am Social Economic Empowerment Ambassador. And it's a bit of a mouthful, but we have a new division of Brave Foundation and it's systemic advocacy. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. It was actually only a few years ago, I was doing some study at Harvard Kennedy in mm. Boston. And so it was, was incredible. And, and I, I won a scholarship to go and study there and was doing a leadership course. And I sat at the back of the school and, you know, and was thinking about uh, the work that I'd done to, to that point. And these words just sort of came into my spirit and it was social economic empowerment ambassador and I thought gee they're words I wouldn't come up with like I'm you know I, I was okay at maths but not great at maths and I'm very good socially and so I wrote it down and, and, I, and I asked the lady who ran the course you know what, what does this role exist and she said no not that I know of but it doesn't mean mm. that it shouldn't and um and really my heart from working with some of our most at risk, uh, disadvantaged young people in our nation was to see them find their purpose in the most unlikely of situations and thinking of a way that we could help governments to be able to do that as well. So I'm in that role now so and give it's us a fantastic. Picture. Give us a picture of somebody that you would help yes. in that role yeah. and what difference would that role be making? Is there a way of kind of putting... Um, given a practical example of what it would look like? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think really it's finding the window of opportunity moment in a person's life. And sometimes, you know, I've worked with a lot of young parents expecting and parenting teens in Brave Foundation. Um, we've also, I've worked with young carers where we had one young woman and her mum and dad had both passed away um, very unexpectedly, both before Christmas, uh, only a couple of years ago. Mm. And she all of a sudden became the sole carer at a very young age, still a teenager herself, of her eight-year-old brother. Mm. And, you know, at that moment, to suddenly be flung into being the sole carer at 16 or 17, she was, yeah. uh, of her brother, and, and then she still has goals, dreams and aspirations. Now, the other part of this that we know, Carl, is that young carers, young students, so kids that leave school early, or young parents, mm. they actually cost our governments more in the future than any other young groups of people. And so I was thinking about that and thinking, well, how do we actually come at a point where we can intervene early, even in those moments where it might feel catastrophic, mm. and help them meet their goals, their dreams, their aspirations over the long game, not a short six-week 
program yeah. and um, and how we could do that with governments. And so for this young person, uh, she was able to be a part of the program that we offer at Brave Foundation. Um, but there are many navigating programs in our country. And so I'm very passionate as this emerging sector, uh, we start to see it um, amongst us, that we have more policy and we also have funding structures that actually are purpose built and designed to fund those organisations. Is, is it fair to say that, that most governments in Western countries like Australia function that the juvenile justice or the jail system, the very, very dysfunctional, or the elite system that pushes you through universities. Is it, is it fair to say that's where a lot of the money goes? Yeah. And that, that somewhere there's a bit of a gap in the middle? Look, I think so. And, you know, I, I, I'm, we need our government as it is at the moment. Our, our social services, it's so mm. imperative. You know, this is keeping people, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, warm, clothed and fed in their greatest hour. But actually for people to be able to uh, find their purpose mm. and to enter mm. into the workplace, enter into education, it just releases something that is so powerful, not only for the individual, but for our community as a whole. And, you know, like... I. I often think about it, you know, like a, it's a little proverb, I guess, which is, you know, uh, that I'm at, um, at the lake with my friend and, uh, you know, I'm sitting on the water's edge and this little kid is, you know, it's drowning in front of me and I've got to, you know, I run in and I go and I rescue this little, little child and bring this child out to safety and then I turn around and there's another and my friend says, quick, go and go and rescue them. So I'm rescuing this next child and then I turn around and there's a third child and I look at my friend and he's disappeared and, and, and ran up stream and I thought how on earth is he left why has he left me to be rescuing these children on my own and then upstream he yells out to me I'm going up to the top of the stream to see why these kids are falling in mm, mm. and so I think if we can help our most at risk our most uh, at risk of vulnerability actually yeah. in Australia earlier through early intervention long-term mentoring programs that we know work from evaluation to evaluation yeah. to evaluation yeah. we're going to see our brightest days as our nation ahead but I think Australia we can lead that yeah. uh, internationally yeah. because you know there are some other nations that do it well that we're going to partner with and learn from them too as I step into this role uh, but I just know that the fabric and the values of our nation can really catapult it to something yeah. amazing. This series is called Faith Runs Deep. How do you see faith running deep in our nation? Yeah I think um, that's such a good question isn't it? And I think really faith running deep, it has to hit, our, our faith has to hit the depths of our purpose, mm. actually, and what we're each called to. You know, it's easy sometimes to settle for the life that is um, comfortable. Mm. I, my husband and I have never been one for doing that. And so, you know, um, we, we always put ourselves in challenging situations, but when we know that it's the call of God on, the, on our lives. When we know that it is our God-ordained purpose that actually has called us to think about that opportunity or position or, um, or whatever it might be. And so I think purpose is a really important part mm. um, for our Australian fabric and that each person in Australia has such a unique and wonderful purpose. And sometimes some of the um, journeys that we travel can be just so difficult, but mm. 
they're the experiences that we're having, that's not our purpose. And we can still uncover that purpose in the midst of that. And, and I think if we can do that for each other, that our best days are ahead and um, that we can build that fabric of our faith in showing that love to the person that's in front of, you know, whoever it might be. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as I unearth stories of faith in Australia. To watch the full Faith Runs Deep series and all Olive Tree Media content, go to olivetreemedia.com.au and sign up to the Watch Plus platform and partner with us today.